Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So this week, I'm joined on the show by Jonathan Ellsworth and Andrew Gardner, the co-founder of Velocio Apparel, and we're talking about something a little different for Bikes and Big Ideas in that we are chatting about gravel biking today. And the impetus for this conversation was that a little earlier this fall, Jonathan went out to New England to go on a couple day gravel ride with Andrew and along the way kind of found out that gravel riding is actually pretty fun to someone who in his case was kind of a skeptic going in. And as a fellow mountain biker and something of a gravel skeptic myself, we kind of figured it was an interesting one to get all three of us together to just chat about the appeal of gravel biking, why we think the term gravels may be a bit of a misnomer, and a whole lot more stuff, including just kind of the ways in which cyclists and bikers of all sorts tend to silo themselves off and form little cliques of specific types of riding in ways that maybe aren't the best serving to anyone who's either a core participant in the sports or trying to break into them. So we cover a lot in this one, and I think it's a pretty interesting chat. So hope you enjoy it. I had a good time. But before we get into it, I do want to take just a moment to encourage you to check out our Blister Plus Spot injury insurance, because as mountain bikers or people who ride gravel bikes or ski or snowboard or do any of the various outdoor activities that just about everyone listening to this will participate in getting hurt, something that happens from time to time. And well, you may well have very good health insurance for most folks. That's going to come with some kind of deductible. And the whole point of spot is to make it so that when you hurt yourself doing a outdoor activity, you don't end up having to pay a ton of money for it. And so not only does Spot help cover you in the case of something really catastrophic, but one of the things that I'm most excited about for just having it myself now is the kinds of little crashes and minor injuries that occur all the time, mountain biking or doing a lot of other things, because it's just so easy to do something like take a small spill, bang yourself up a little bit and go through this whole cost benefit analysis of do I really need to get this looked at or can I just kind of suffer through it for a few weeks and hope it gets better and spots zero deductible insurance means that you don't have to have that kind of consideration because you're covered for $25,000 per incident and there's no deductible starts from absolutely the base coverage right from the beginning so you know next time you take a spill and tweak your shoulder or something you don't have to worry about well is it worth going in spending several hundred dollars or more to have them tell you that ah, it's fine you'll be okay in a couple weeks don't worry about it anymore just go get it looked at so i think that's super compelling as is the coverage for something more catastrophic if you have a more major accident so check it out there's a link in the show notes and we think this is something really exciting that a whole lot of folks out there should be getting so give it a look let us know what you think and with that 
let's get right to my conversation with Jonathan and Andrew. Well, Jonathan, great to have you back on Bikes and Big Ideas. And Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, grateful to be on. We're going to do something a little bit different here today since we're kind of normally a little bit more mountain bike focused on here. But uh, here we're going to sit down and chat about, well, gravel biking or maybe not gravel biking as we'll get into with the terminology and uh, just sort of let you speak to it, Andrew, and your trip recently, Jonathan, and do a little bit of a kind of rundown on where the sport's at and why people who, like myself, are pretty mountain bike focused and don't do a whole lot on that side of things might want to consider changing that. It's always nice to be back on on the podcast I started. So uh, I, I think probably most of the world can agree that they are happier with our new host, David. You know, so David has done an amazing job with Bikes and Big Ideas, but I'm still always happy to, it's like coming home, you know? So thanks for, thanks for letting me back on. But um, yeah, I, I think, I, I suspect that a number of people will resonate a bit with our respective uh, takes on, you know, what is uh, typically called gravel bikes and gravel biking. And, you know, I confess that for me, I sort of viewed these gravel bike thingies as just too similar to road bike thingies. And I'm just not at a point in life or and never really have been where I'm into road biking. And part of it is, to be very blunt, I don't feel like getting hit by a truck. And while we go mountain bike and we do things like, you know, hit trees or hit rocks hard and break all kinds of bones, I'm somehow far more comfortable with that scenario than getting taken out by an 18 wheeler. And in my head, I was like, well, I love mountain biking and the freedom and getting to be out there. I know I don't want to be having cars and trucks whipping by me on a road so I don't know what to do with a gravel bike. It sort of felt like a no man's land or an in-between thing. And I think I'll shut up here in a second, but basically I started to kind of rethink some of those um, assumptions and some of my pretty staunch opposition. I still kind of do have a personal staunch opposition to road bikes for the reasons I just said, but I'm I'm starting to slip <laughs> my, my opposition to gravel bikes has kind of started to slip. And this led to an experience this past fall, Andrew, that you and I got to have together that really further caused some, uh, uh, some diminishing of this opposition, former opposition of mine, your turn. <laughs> good. good. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to like create all kinds of like, uh, quandary in your bike your bike interest that's like i think i feel like that was the goal um yeah it was great i mean having you first of all like having you in vermont in that at that time of the year is sort of like peak riding adventure gravel experience and you know for those of you listening it was um there were a handful of us riding through the green mountains damn near peak foliage, like pretty beautiful day, pretty incredible weather on roads that don't see a lot of traffic. And 
Um, and it was, uh, uh, it's just a pretty lovely time, like good food, um, a, a spot that spots that aren't seen very often. And I think is like kind of the quintessential quote unquote gravel bike experience. So it was I, I'm glad to have you there. And, and look, I, I should probably take this moment to confess you had reached out because you were assembling this trip and it was on the one hand to get some good people together on the other hand it was to it was an opportunity to learn more about a company you co-founded Velocio uh and i wanted to learn more about the company and i also given this opposition that i've stated i was like look i should go out and do this one for the reasons you said i mean going on a gravel ride in like during peak foliage in New England, if I'm going to like this sport or this activity, let's go sort of be set up for the best of all possible, you know, situations and circumstances to, 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 to achieve that. And, and it was, but it was really, and I don't know that I admitted this to you, but this was really my chance to be like, maybe this is the sort of first and last time I'm ever on a gravel bike. And I could have come back from that trip and been like, yeah, it sucks. I was right. I'm just going to go back to like mountain biking. Wasn't quite my experience. And so that's where I was kind of coming in. It was really exploratory. And turns out, like you said, you've, you've presented some quandaries for me that um, I'm, I'm not actually mad about because this, this has led to a whole lot of other interesting sort of takes. And like I said, I think there's going to be some people listening to this who one will be hearing me and be like, great welcome to the party you're 10 years late others will be like maybe more like david and i'd like to hear david sort of talk about his own kind of experience or lack of experience on this front but um you know this is what we're doing we're just it's like confession hour on bikes and big ideas yeah well i guess sort of like you jonathan i just don't have a lot of experience with gravel bikes at all frankly uh i do own a road bike. I don't ride it very often, um, but occasionally get out. Um, mostly when there's on the like rare windows where there's not good mountain biking to be had around here, and skiing's maybe not in, and kind of as sort of a fallback option, and or just to go do errands and that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of it's sort of just around some of the similar concerns you had of not liking riding in traffic. I've been hit by a car on a bike. It's not a great time. Don't recommend it. Um, and just hasn't really ever hit the top of my priority list to try this sort of new flavor. And I guess one of the things that's always felt interesting to me about the sort of burgeoning gravel scene as it exists right now is that in no small part, it feels like a rebranding of something that isn't actually nearly as new as the kind of new reemergence of it might indicate. And people have been doing bike touring for just about as long as there have been bikes. And it's not, you know, the, the technology on which we're doing it has changed a bit, but the activity itself really isn't new at all, but it has hit this crescendo of popularity of late and the, gear being specifically marketed for that has exploded in tandem with that. So in some extent, it feels like just this 
big part of the bike world to which I am ignorant and not really up on. And I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I sort of feel like there's this extent to which just I'm kind of doing my thing on the mountain bike side of things more than busy enough doing that and kind of don't have the bandwidth to take on more stuff. But I am in part curious too. Andrew, David just opened up a number of different lines or for, you know, topics here for us. But before we get there, I'd love to have you just tell people about your own background, maybe go even a bit further back than from where David and I were talking here, because you have an interesting background. And so, so talk a little bit about this and get us a nice long running start into then your own entrance into this gravel thing. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. And I feel like it's fascinating because hearing both of you speak about whether it's your reticence to gravel or the the places where it's not been compelling. I mean, there's an unspoken part of what you're saying too there, which is like the effete road racer, sharp jawed podium looking Tour de France style racer that is like particularly prescriptive about where this is or what this is, um, is like the origins of like road riding. And that's pretty easy to um, sort of push back against. And I'll come back to that in a second. But my background is, is I started as an outdoor kid. I grew up in upper Michigan in the UP. I was like a shop rat from a young age, mounting skis and bringing in wood. And my background was uh, deep in skiing, all flavors, particularly um, cross country. And I, so I'd always... I had ridden lifts, I had backcountry ski, but I was a cross-country ski racer through college. Um, and post-college, um, I had done World Cup service for Swix as a cross-country ski racer. So like got as deep into the um, you know, uh heart rate monitor point threshold lactate testing, like the the most type A parts of the the sport that you could look at while simultaneously loving backcountry skiing. I lived in Western Colorado, um, after I was done racing, uh, taught at a small boarding school, taught philosophy and literature and ran the ski program and the bike program. We did mountain bike racing out of Carbondale, but also it was the first time I bought a big bike. It was the first time I had like a six inch travel front and rear bike. Um, the angles of which now are hilarious when I look at, I'm pretty grateful that I sold that bike, I think for a wedding ring somewhere around 2003, um, so it's fascinating in that I have like an internal um, decoder ring between these two worlds, right? And I have kind of had a foot in each one for a long time. I raced 24-hour races at the height of that and did a number of like solo racing that way. And then I moved east and became the head coach at Middlebury College for um, cross-country ski racing. So again, like had US ski team athletes on the team, had NCAA All-Americans, did summer programs in New Zealand, like pretty far down that rabbit hole and simultaneously took on road racing, not gravel racing, not mountain bike racing, but criterium racing. I raced for MetLife, which was a pro-am team out of New England uh, around the country, um, was always good enough to see the back of the good guys, but good enough to understand like what it was and definitely like bought in hard to the full on, at least American flavor of the like sharp jawed, skinny podium guy that is repellent to lots of folks and um, totally understand that. I think the interesting part of that is that's the first point at which I was introduced to gravel. So even in Western Colorado, I had I, I told Jonathan this, that there was um, a cyclocross pro, uh, a guy a little older than me who had done European tours racing cyclocross 
who would come home to his family in Glenwood Springs and ride his pretty much purely road bike all over the gravel of Missouri Heights and into like all across the Roaring Fork Valley. And I rode with him and like was like introduced to it at that time. And we're riding on like road bikes with 26s at the widest, these tires, like no, no special geometry, no fancy flavors. And even to the point when I had moved east, there's tons of roads around here where like Vermont has 9,000 kilometers of gravel roads. If you skip out on them and you saw this when you're here, Jonathan, like the roads at their peak are pretty buffed out and can be smoother in some places than, than pavement. So, so learn kind of early on that there's all these both these, these wildly differing surfaces to begin with when we talk about gravel, like in Vermont, it is effectively, you know, one shade less than pavement in some places. You can seek out mountain bike trails, you know, trails we would have ridden in the nineties that called mountain bike trails that people are riding on gravel bikes now. But, uh, the different surfaces I think have always been there. And so like this gravel, piece, this gravel uh, uprising, the gravel industry, gravel racing, I think is born out of a lot of the things that you spoke about where you look at people being concerned about being hit by cars. Um, I think COVID accelerated the deterioration of road racing post Lance in the country, like the number of road races continues to go down. Um, Gravel races continue to go up. And it has followed the cyclical trend that we've seen since the early 90s, where early 90s came along, there's mountain bike racing, everybody's going to get into mountain bike racing. And then like late 90s, people are like, oh, this is pretty hard. And then, you know, the early 2000s came along and people were like, oh, this road racing thing is pretty cool. And they get to the end of the 2000s, this is pretty hard. And we're sort of going through the same cycle with gravel racing right now. So that's the broad strokes of like how I came to it. To your point, I think what's fascinating about gravel is that you have this mixing of cultures where having lived on either side of this outdoor world or the bike world, I understand these people coming together, but mountain bikers who maybe want to do something slightly different and don't need to get sandy every day and want marginally more fitness or to see something or to whatever that might be that draws them in or road riders who are concerned about safety or or just want less of that you know, tarmac experience. That's, I think, where the rubber hits the road. And then as with the triathlon boom or the road racing boom, gravel promoters right now are charging a lot of money for a big experience. Um, I've done a lot of gravel races. I've watched it. And it's that is certainly contributing both to the industry and the culture and to how we're like framing up gravel. But I guess that's that to me is sort of the 30,000 foot view. And, and I don't know what that peaks for you, but I'll pause there. I think the sort of development of gravel as a race discipline rather than just a way that people are going out and riding their bike is kind of an interesting facet of it. And one of the things that feels like it has, from my largely outsider's perspective, changed the culture around it quite a bit. And I think your point, Andrew, that it's just sort of a cyclic thing where different disciplines and different race events and stuff come in and out of vogue just as sort of the natural course of things is right. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if the gravel racing side of things really continues that momentum or kind of what the tail on it's going to look like if it does fade back out again. And I think in all likelihoods, just 
everything becomes cyclical to some extent. So, right. I mean, we do, we remember this from enduro racing, right? When enduro racing started, everybody's like, "Let's get our friends. It's all for fun. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's just having a good time." And now it's like, "I will cut you." And I don't think that's dissimilar from what we've seen on the gravel side of things either. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. For those of us who just kind of are a bit turned off or don't want to feel like, oh shit, apparently I got to go get ultra serious about this activity. That's what it means to be a part of this scene or something. I think those are those are good points. And then we just got sharper and sharper with enduro, and you saw everybody move from like this participatory vibe into like now I'm going to take this seriously, and I got a mechanic, and my and that I'm tuning everything to that. So let's just back up for a second and just talk about the name. Somewhat embarrassingly to me, when we were riding together, Andrew in Vermont. And we were just talking a bit about gravel and the rest. And I was probably telling you some of these same anecdotes about why I've been reluctant um, to sort of embrace, uh, I don't know, a bike shaped like this uh, (laughs) that doesn't have the geo of a mountain bike. And I just was, I just said like, yeah, so, you know, that's why I've kind of avoided or steered clear of like the gravel thing. And you were just like, I hate the name gravel. It shouldn't be called gravel. And that actually kind of took me back and that's the part that's like yeah dude you should have thought about this sooner and so let's talk a little bit about the name because we've already established in this conversation first of all i do actually think it's somehow brilliant marketing like man talk talk about a term that's gotten sticky and yet it might be the least accurate description of a thing ever since i would argue that gravel is the surface like least ridden on <laughs> right by right. people who actually buy these bikes and like their gravel bike they're not being ridden on gravel uh, not not first and foremost and maybe like second third or fourth yeah it's packed dirt it's it's you know pavement pavement for sure i think the genius of gravel and also it's like the burden of unrest i have with it is that um when you look at like where these bikes existed, I had a bike built here by a local builder, a kid who came out of Middlebury College that is effectively a gravel bike. It was a road bike that I could get a little wider tires on. It had cantilever brakes. It was like pre-disc era. Because of the roads around Vermont, you've seen them, are so compelled in that way. It never for me was like, I, I don't think I've ever called it a gravel bike. I think I called it a cross bike at one point, though that wasn't true either insofar as it didn't have purely cross geometry. The truth is it was a road bike I could fit slightly larger tires on. And I think that underscores like what a lot of people are looking for, because when you get on a traditional road bike, there is sort of an off-putting flavor to like something narrower than 25s. And it, it, it feels, it can feel precarious. Um, and I think putting that qualifier on it has given the industry an easy way to demarcate a more forgiving ride. And if you look at the industry offerings until just recently, those bikes were more pedestrian. They were more upright. They were less severe. And I think that's for a lot of people, a very compelling thing. There was, there was less saddle drop from, from saddle to to stem. There was, there was just a, a much more kind of forgiving play. Lots of um, in some cases, gimmicky suspension that allowed for for just comfort 
big tires, whatever it might be. But it's an easy way to signal, well, this is other. And I, I respect that. I understand that. I don't love that. And the, the notion of being like, I'm a gravel biker is sort of, I think it's interesting, right? Because it's not, to your point, it doesn't, it doesn't qualify a whole lot. That isn't necessarily, even for the most core gravel racer, it doesn't reflect what they're doing. And in some cases, it's, it's going back to what, you know, mountain bike racing was in the nineties. If you look at what people are riding on now, it's really not that dissimilar. They're just on curly handled bikes with 45s. So I, I understand why it's sticky in that way. Um, whether or not they should be, I, I had a, a, another bike built recently. I call it sort of the road plus bike and that it really is a, again, a road bike that's just got room for, for slightly more. Yeah. And I think just kind of looking at the people I know who own and ride gravel bikes or again, whatever we want to call these things, it sort of breaks down into two camps of you mostly it's either people who are kind of coming at it from the side of road cycling and are primarily roadies who have then gotten another bike to go ride on some terrain that they're traditional road bike wouldn't be as much fun on. And then there are people who are predominantly mountain bikers who own a gravel bike and ride it like four times a year, but are really pretty much mountain bikers. And it, I guess maybe that's again, just my lack of immersion in that world, but it really seems like a thing that people are coming to from some other bike discipline or another and sort of tacking on as an extra thing that they do from time to time, but it's not the primary way that anyone I know rides a bike. And so I think that aspect of it is sort of interesting in that it's not, doesn't seem like it's people's entry to cycling. It's a subsequent step on that journey for at least the people in my circles. I think the industry would disagree from a numbers perspective over the last three to five years. And I think if you're a core mountain biker, which you obviously are, and you're surrounded by mountain bikers, the fact that there are folks that are interested in gravel riding at all, I think underscores like what is so enticing about this for a lot of people, right? It's like, oh, there's something going on here, even if I'm going to go ride this four or five times. The number of road riders I know that have sold their road bikes and now have a gravel bike, whether they identify as a gravel rider or not. And I think it's funny that all of these disciplines have these pretty sharp siloed identities that we like align ourselves with. Um, I had, and, and that's like every one of them. I recently rode with a, a colleague. So, you know, we, Velocio was sold to SRAM in March and I've been getting to know lots of the Velocio folks who went to North Vancouver and rode mountain bikes with the mountain bike office. And I was riding, a, a you know a reasonably challenging trail in the Squamish area with one of the staff up there. We got to the end of the ride and they were like, "Oh, you're a real mountain biker," and I was like, "You know," and I and I said, "Just today, I got my certificate today." The interesting thing about this and and because we sell clothes and have ridden sort of the popularity of gravel, our clothing is focused on gear. It's focused on an experience. It's got a pared down look. There's all of these these aims with it. But clothing is a costume and there is a very clear like group that people align themselves with. I, living in both those worlds, I have, I have uh, big mountain bikes. I have a gravel bike. I have a road bike. I ride all of them and I'm tied into families with all of them. We're launching a really core mountain bike line in July 
And mountain bikers are absolutely no different than road riders when it comes to, in fact, they may be worse. The the prescriptive quality of where shorts have to fall on the knee pad line is more steeply entrenched than nearly any other sort of codified costume I've seen on the roadside, Um, which I was like, oh, okay, that's an education to me. So that's the interesting part. And I think you're right, David, in that this gravel scrambles it because suddenly there are people who are coming in who are, are, are coming from super white shoe, white sock world and, you know, pads and visors world. And then there's this mismatch in between. And I think the road racing is taking on this, this uh, mantle of trying to create an umbrella for people to come underneath. But it's incomplete. And I think the reason that it's incomplete is that um, – the experiences uh, aren't necessarily matching the rhetoric right now. We're seeing a lot of, hey, this is a community. Come on in. This is for everybody. This is super compelling. I've been in the top whatever of those races. I can tell you the community, the atmosphere, come on in, gets pretty sharp elbowed when you're like trying to make it into the front group of those races. And and likewise, for somebody, I do think that there's a participatory quality of that, whether it's like an Ironman, some of these are really hard. You look at Unbound in Kansas or, or you know, some of these other events. I think that's great. And I think um, people get a lot out of that. But I also think that there are folks who have done that or looking at that and then saying, all right, what's next? And I do think, you know, we're looking at this with athletes we work with in content that there is almost a collective reboot right now on where bike culture falls down. And that reboot is getting governed by experience. So look, mountain biking has again been like, super codified by where it's landed and and the media from now doesn't wildly differ from what we saw in the 80s and 90s and 2000s right it's evolved but it's still like it's sandy it's big it's big adventure it's 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 participatory at that way it's not necessarily race focused um and i think road riding there there aren't the same sort of singular events to fall underneath where I want to ride like Lance or I want to look like this, or I want to do this. There's, there is this choose your own adventure quality that's happening. I think what comes next is going to be super compelling. It's going to be really interesting. Well, wait a sec. You can't, that's like a cliffhanger you left us with. We want predictions or your guesses. I don't, I I don't think it's written down. As you look at the rise of bikepacking of multi-day adventures that way, um, you know, we have a number of athletes on the Velocio roster and and a SRAM has these athletes and um, that are just sort of incredible solo folks doing, in some cases, their own adventures that they're making up. You know, I'm going to ride across the Andes. I'm going to piece this together this way. I think getting for my favorite events at this point, um, and I don't really race anymore. I don't like enter into these races, but I still meet up with old racer friends sometimes on road bikes, sometimes on gravel bikes, pick a hard day. It's five or six of us. And we go out and do this piece. That's the stuff that I enjoy the most. Um, and you're creating this, this compelling sort of purely personal adventure that lives not on Instagram or, or, or isn't sort of reflected on a a chip timer. And that to me is, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And if there's one big takeaway so far in this conversation, it's probably that we should all recognize how 
closed, closed-minded we can be about my scene, whatever my stupid preferred version of bike geometry is. And what you're proposing is it actually is a whole lot cooler to just blur all these lines across. And somebody that can go have a good time riding mountain bikes one day and then going to do a road ride the next day and maybe the next weekend going and doing an overnight backpacking thing. Like this is all cool. And maybe we need to do more to put that back into kind of the atmosphere of like, you know, what's real cool bikes, whatever form of pedaling you're doing, that's cool. And stop it in terms of trying to, you know, tell everybody else that they're doing it wrong or wearing the wrong type of socks or have, you know, it's not cool that you have a hydration pack rather than a fanny pack, like fuck off about all that shit, you know, and that's probably the healthiest, smartest, best thing that any of us could be doing. And, and, and that said, I do realize all communities set themselves up by having certain codes. And so that's a fact. That's a fact. But if we can sort of understand and then also be open to just blurring these lines and just getting back to like, I like pedaling of any type. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. My family decamped from Vermont to Utah for November. We like took, worked out of a house in Moab for that month. And for a few reasons, one, like you left Vermont right after the time when it gets real ugly. You, you came, you came in for the peak, beautiful, amazing riding. <laughs> and I'm like, the weather's great. It's awesome. <laughs> and then basically it like the leaves fall down, the mountain biking goes to shit. The gravel riding gets cold. It starts raining. It sticks season. You're like, and it, and the skiing doesn't show up yet for a while. So we were like, let's, let's bail out. And I spent a month, you know, where my after work ride was completely epic, right? You're riding like, you know, Captain Ahab in the portal trail and these like incredible, you know, amazing rides. What blew my mind about that is like, I was you know, super compelled to just, I only brought a big, one big mountain bike and that was it. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not going to take any other bike to Moab. And by the end, I remember coming back home to Vermont and being like, I could really use like a good two or three hour reset, just riding gravel roads alone. And I think what I realized, and this is very personal, but for me, this experience of there's this, there's a, a meditative feeling and an experience that I'm chasing with all of it. Whether you're finding it in like chunky flow, moving over trails, downhill, it's the same. It's effectively the same meditation as when you get wrapped into this like two or three hour, I'm going to just sort of spin and let the world move by me on this road plus bike. And that, that I think if people chase that, if they chase this good experience, whether it's alone or with friends or like, Hey, wasn't that awesome? It's super rewarding for me. So I, I do think that one of my goals with the brand is to create more content that gives people the permission to do that because people want a sense of belonging. They want an umbrella to come underneath there. There are secret handshakes, but it's also saying like, look, the secret handshake is, is the one you're making. And like, here's, here's some like recipes on how you might mix that. All right. I'm going to let David get back to his questions here, but we got to, we got to do this at some point. You are now using this term. You've used it several times road plus. I want to get back to, if we are going to 
rebrand this category. I wonder if we can get to a consensus at least among the three of us, and then we can sort of go from there. I I know, Andrew, you had proposed, like, can we call these adventure bikes? And I, I don't know if I like the chances of that sticking. What do we like or not like about calling them cross bikes? That might be my current front runner. I think cross bikes is wrong because that's referring to bikes built for a specific race discipline. And they're not that. Geometry is different, etc. That's like saying, let's, let's call them Formula One bikes. I mean, that's sort of like that exists. It's pretty tough to like, I raced a couple seasons of UCI cross and the bikes themselves are distinctly, they're just unique. They're, you know, it's, they're, you can ride all of these things on cross bikes and they're fine. But the truth is, is that a, the bikes that I'm riding now are create a more pleasant experience. The bottom bracket isn't as high. They're more comfortable to ride for longer. They have a, mine has a double front ring because I enjoy like an actual road bike experience as opposed to that. I don't know if given the SRAM ownership, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's like the truth. And, um, when I look at, if we're going to like reboot and have the, the conversation, So I, I don't know that we're allowed to do that. And we may just sort of like have to be stuck with gravel. I, the other brand that I had co-founded was untapped. It's the maple brand. And my co-founders hate the word flavor. And so my, my co, my co-founder, Doug and Roger, they hate the word flavor. And I respect what they're saying. We're not using flavor. It's, you know, because it connotes something artificial and nothing in untapped has anything artificial. It's all like actual raspberries or actual maple syrup. And so when they hear flavor, I'm like, well, it doesn't mean that. And we don't get to recontextualize the way other people are using this. And I think that may be the case with gravel as as well. So whether or not you're, I think if, if I'm in your shoes and I'm branding this, I might call it like gravel asterisk and be like, that's what it is. And then a, 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 subset, air a, air quotes and a subset to it of like, look, we get it. This is why we think these bikes are not this or, or whatever. And I'm, I've resigned myself to saying, yeah, we're going to do a gravel ride. It is what it is because there is context for it. But for me, my bike itself, it's a road plus bike. If, if, and for when I go do something, and part of that too is the surface in Vermont in most cases is a road plus it's not it's not gravel it's not chunky it's not slate rocks broken into pieces and if we're going to do that i'm going to grab a mountain bike but i think so i respect where you're coming from i think that i think it's going to be some headwinds if we're going to absolutely rebrand that way but i res- i appreciate it david what's what's your best what's your best suggestion i'm kind of struggling with that i think that like andrew said the yeah i mean one the gravel name has a lot of momentum behind it but even apart from that i just i don't know what the the better thing is even if i do kind of agree with some of the limitations of the name gravel that we've already outlined about it not really so maybe something like i don't know uh all road or something like that to get at the idea that you've got dirt roads in the mix and whatnot. It's not just limited to pavement, but um, I don't feel like I fit the home run on this yet. That was the whole point of this conversation. We're blowing <laughs> it's it. It's just a branding We're, exercise. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I feel every time I say the word, I like do this like weird twitch. Cause I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like, I'm like short circuiting a little bit, but I think some of that is how sharp the, 
culture is, particularly around the races, right? There's a recently written New Yorker piece that came in the wake of like Mo Wilson's tragic death that followed uh, the storyline there, which is awful, and did a fairly large disservice to the gravel, the quote unquote gravel community and highlighted, I think, the ugliest parts of it, some of which were true, but some of which was reductive and simplified insofar as there are great people that run some of these races and that participate in some of these races. And there is not a monolith. There was also like a follow-up article in Bicycling about Mo Wilson's life that I thought was celebratory and beautiful and thoughtful and I think represents the best parts of whatever the gravel scene is, which is like trying to like foment a better experience for the people who are coming into it. And if that, if they're successful in their like stated mission, I can get caustic and cynical about when they fall short, but when they're successful for that, they're giving people an, uh, an opportunity to do something that is powerful or unique or empowering. I think that's the best part of that scene. So to me, like I'm willing to take the good with the bad in that spot. Um, and and having lots of friends in that world, I like I I'm not ready to toss out. I guess the whole the whole deal yet. It's not my favorite, but I'm not willing to toss it. Yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, it's sticky as hell. It sure it's is. easy to say. Mm-hmm. It's it's vivid. I like I. And then who coined the phrase? That's a great question because the riding sure existed well before. Yeah. You know, the, my, yeah. My, I go back to my favorite gravel rides and I actually did them on a road bike. They were in the upper Valley in New Hampshire, near Dartmouth. And a photographer friend of mine, Chris Millman used to put on these UV epics, these upper Valley epics where he's picking these impossible roads. And most of us were on road bikes. And they, like when gravel came back around, he's like, yeah, people are riding and calling them gravel rides. We've been doing this 15 years ago. Like, yeah. But yeah, I on like I I think that's fascinating, and I would love for someone to write in and set me straight. But if it's like, yeah, the guy's name is Joe Smith, and he came up with it in the year whatever. It's Roland but, Gravel. I mean, what's that? It was Roland Gravel who named it. It was like <laughs> probably. Anyway, it's it is kind of funny for how this term just has taken over. I don't at least know who coined it. The interesting thing about the evolution of gravel bikes and that industry is that elements of road bikes have followed, right? The Tour de France riders are riding on bigger tires than they did 20 20 years ago. And the experiences that they're having, even if it's a smaller, racier version of it, are are getting informed by that. Just for the sake of our branding experiment, I'm going to throw out one more option. I can't say that I have high hopes for its stickiness. What if we called them, man, you guys are going to make fun of me, but like Omni bikes, Omni, two syllables, means all, all or everything. What do you ride? I ride an Omni. I don't know. Wasn't there like a Plymouth that was like really small or a Dodge Omni back in the day? I feel like that sort <laughs> oh, of like, no. like I, I, I'm not sure it's evoking, evocative of the thing that you're uh, like wanting in that way. I feel like it's, uh, you know. But All right. Well, fine. We got, fine. I, I don't know. Gravel I, it is <laughs> till the end of time. You screw you guys. Yeah. I, I, I tried failed, at least. I failed in my guest requirements here to like rebrand gravel, but I'm not, I think it may be a bridge too far for me. I, yeah. Yeah. I do like all, all road bikes. Um, I think David was onto something with that one, but 
I don't think I can fully take credit for that. I've definitely seen that used somewhere by someone. I can't recall who at this stage, but uh, it feels a little more fitting to me, I think. I don't see it actually. There's no stickiness there. Because if someone's like, what kind of bike you have? They're not going to say an all road. I don't think. Hmm. Anyway, props to whoever came up with gravel. Apparently it is the stickiest most impossible to replace name of anything ever. And um, good job. We'll just all deal with the fact that gravel bikes are not all that frequently ridden on gravel. It's fine. It's fine. All right, David, where are we going from here? Uh, I just felt like I needed to joke about this being a good insight into behind the scenes at Blister, where like every third conversation with you devolves into two hours of trying to name something. But... um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of want to circle back to something that Andrew said a little bit earlier about kind of finding a certain flow state and just being out pedaling on a bike and nice scenery and taking that all in and having a kind of less intense maybe experience than a lot of folks are seeking out on mountain bikes a lot of the time, myself certainly included in that camp. And... It's something the idea of that is something that very strongly appeals to me, but is something that I am I think it's probably fair to say not the best at actually doing. It's like I spend certainly tons of time climbing on a mountain bike on often on fire roads and stuff where it's sort of a version of that. But I am still kind of in this mental space where I am in my biking for seeking out interesting descents and kind of that's the, the itch that I'm trying to scratch and just haven't ever quite gotten the muscle there of really enjoying the grindy pedally parts as much and finding that level of enjoyment out of them. And so I don't know. I mean, Andrew, as someone who has kind of, made that jump by the sound of things like anything that works for you on that. What, what got you there? I mean, I think that was probably a biochemical decision from like birth where I've always liked going uphill and don't mind like that flavor. I do think that's a place where those events are useful because there is something cajoling you outside yourself. Right. And I think I do see that as a compelling place that way, but I would, I, I also think it's like, um, I understand and totally seek out the descent play and getting Cindy on a mountain bike is super fun. And, um, I, I get that. I think when I, when I look at the experience on a gravel bike or finding, finding that piece, I think there's a few things that I would aim for. Like one is how long somebody's riding and like tuning that up or, or increasing it. And also like varying the level of intensity. I think it's one thing to keep it chill and to run it down, but just varying it enough so that fitness follows after, whether it's, I'm going to just pick this one short climb and then hammer it on my hour long ride and everything else I'm going to slow pedal and then extend that out. I think can't be underestimated. Like they, there's, there's certainly like, uh, there's fruit, there. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, the, the Joel joke of like, what do you call two 
riders riding together. It's like a race um, is is compelling, like finding the right partners to ride with. I'm lucky in that I've got a, a great gravel riding partner here in Vermont. I've got a great uh, skiing partner. I've got a great mountain bike partner. They're different folks and they're interested in like different pieces. And then they push me at the weakest parts of all of those things. Um, even when we're not racing and even if it's not like just sharply competitive, there still is this external motivation that it gets, it gets plugged in that way. I'm super grateful for that, but I also manufacture it within my life so that I, I do have it. I'd like to speak to this given my vast experience on a, you know, gravel bike. It's funny. This probably depends a lot on where you live and what kind of trails are available to you, but Man, here in Crested Butte, I feel like the trails that I'm riding most often on my mountain bike, it's like I leave my house at 9,300 feet, and then we just start climbing from there, which is to say that I'm basically out of breath immediately on every mountain bike ride I do. So, you know, at some point, maybe I'll think about getting in better shape, but till then, you know, so... I'm not really taking in the incredible natural beauty around us on the way up. Then I stop at the top for a minute or two, or if it's with friends, maybe a bit longer. And then I'm quite focused on the descent to like not hit trees. So in a way, I love being out, obviously, but I'm not taking it all in on a mountain bike in the way that, so, I mean, just speaking to the, the two-day ride we did in Vermont, it was extremely different in that regard. I didn't have to be keyed in, clued in the whole time. That, you know, when you're doing a 40-mile ride or something, uh, depending on the ride, you know, we had a lot of sections that were quite easy. And then a couple hills were like, okay, we're going to punch it pretty good right now. And I really appreciated that mix. And much of the time, again, depending on what you're doing and who you're out with, there can be good conversations. Or, you know, to Andrew's point, maybe it is just a solo ride, but there's more time to be actually reflective and not just like be cool if my heart didn't explode, you know, um, on this steep, punchy climb at 11,000 feet. So I think that was one of the most compelling things that I've kind of taken with this is that a different setup just leads to more options. And then if I may, sorry, but one more thing, you know, when I broke four ribs mountain biking last year, I didn't get back on a bike for quite a long time. And it was funny. Again, I'm just slow in general, apparently, but on our ride in Vermont, I was like, man, if I'd had a gravel bike, I could have been riding, like comfortably riding and pedaling and outside and on a bike much, much sooner than I felt comfortable like going and riding all the old trails on on my mountain bike. So that was another kind of eye-opening thing for me that, again, not rocket science here, but I'm apparently slow. But that's really something. You know, We talk a lot about ski quivers around here. Have your bike quiver that depending on the day or if you got hurt a bit mountain biking and it's leaving you not quite ready to go hit hard the same mountain bike trails, 
like I would be on a gravel bike a lot more for the reasons I've just said, if I had one. Totally. I, um, in what was the most epically embarrassing injury in the spring, my wife and son and I were canoeing in Lake Champlain and went to an island and she got out and there was, it was springtime, the water level was high, there was a lot of moss and she fell right on her butt and she said, you got to be really careful, it's super slippery. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got out and immediately fell and dislocated my shoulder. And so, uh, which was like, then I had to answer to all my friends who were like, did you do it mountain biking? I'm like, no, I fell stepping out of a canoe. Um, but mercifully it like was reduced relatively quickly and I didn't ride a mountain bike for about a month, but I was on a gravel bike six days later. And to your point, like absolutely have the quiver without that. I would have, I would have gone insane. I got, I went a little insane. We have, you know, passes to Killington that were languishing while I was not riding that bike, but totally, totally grateful to have had that quiver. Well, this stuff is actually really fascinating. And I, I very much appreciate Andrew in this conversation. And then frankly, back in this fall where you really were the one kind of pushing me like, Let's be less walled off, less less siloed in how we're thinking about these things and less siloed in our willingness to go jump on a different type of bike and participate in a different kind of ride or something like that. And I, I think that's really exciting. And, and it really has. I mean, since the fall, while we've been thinking a lot about gravel around here at Blister and what do we do with that? I mean, this really has accelerated the conversations that I'm having with David and that we're having with the rest of the team about doing more coverage on the equipment side, on the apparel side, and just opening this up in some of the ways that I've said just about my own experience. And so, and I think we will be kind of approaching this because we do come more from the mountain bike side of things here at Blister we're going to be kind of starting there and moving from that direction and I don't know, just having fun with it and exploring these things. And maybe we can do what we do at blister and try to help align or help people find some of the gear that actually would help them have a good time in whatever fucking form they want to have that good time, you know, whatever to shape a bike. Yeah, when I look at my heroes on the bike, you know, like one of the Velocio athletes is Jeff Kabush, and he does do a fair amount of like uh, gravel riding on a Yeti colored open. You know, he he'll, he every year kind of puts together the under biking world championships where he rides terrain that probably shouldn't be ridden on that bike. I mean, can't hold a candle to Jeff, but if I were going to like pick a rider I wanted to most be like, like the guy's an amazing rider across like literally every discipline. And I just, I celebrate like how much he loves that and how good he is at sort of like evangelizing just bikes. So I, I think it's a great goal. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for just not being quite so siloed in how we think about ourselves as bikers or skiers or whatever it is that we do, you know, as we've kind of been saying through this, people do sort of tend to make little clicks within these activities. And I'd really strongly identify as one specific facet of them. But I think all of that just one doesn't serve us very well in terms of opening us up to trying different 
flavors of the stuff that we're into and also just makes it harder for new folks to break in and get a foothold somewhere because it just makes everything feel more closed off and insular. And I don't really think anyone's served all that well by that. So that note about trying to change that and about just being as fired up for people like Jeff, who are just evangelizing bikes and aren't too hung up on doing one specific component of it is a good one. And um, I'm all for that. And so I guess, Andrew, it would be interesting to hear you talk a little bit more about kind of how you see Velocio's place in that. And, you know, as you've mentioned earlier, you've kind of your apparel line thus far has been kind of oriented more towards road and gravel ish kind of stuff. But you've already just said you've got mountain bike stuff coming. What do you sort of see as the way forward on all of that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm grateful for the question because we, I think it was an underpinning of how and why we started the brand. I mean, we came out of a pretty sharp road racing background and saw how other brands were being marketed, but also saw like what product was there. One of the things when we launched was we launched with women's gear uh, before men's or we, we had men's gear, but we had a deeper line in women's and we remain one of the few brands that maintains gender parity across our entire line and across our general customer file. Um, at the time, you couldn't buy a high-end road bike with the same level of componentry uh, that in women's sizes or specific models that you could men's. It was, it was wild. I remember doing like market research, walking around shops in New York City and asked a road uh, shop owner why they didn't have more road clothing for women in their shop. And he said, well, women don't buy clothes. And I was like, it, it seemed to, they're wearing them. Um, so it's not just sort of like from gender parity, from the type of riding that folks are looking at. We, we certainly have benefited from the interest in gravel and, and creating an experience that way. And then my background, I talked about the sh my like shop rat background, you know, working in bike and ski shops, started a PR agency in the outdoor world. Like I come from outdoor and how we've marketed the brand and how Brad, my co-founder, has designed the brand has been pretty deeply informed by the outdoor industry. And that is, there are, you know, pluses and minuses to the outdoor industry as well. But what it does do well is, is create uh, experiences for a broad swath of people, I think. So when you look at whether it's our winter line, which is modeled after backcountry apparel, when you, we have like the same kind of flavors of layering, we use PolarTech Alpha in that winter model, and it actually goes down to legitimate winter temperatures that you would ride in New England style winter temperatures. We've got a good following in like Scandinavia for that reason. Um, whereas other bike apparel lines, yeah, they make winter gear, but it it stops at a certain temperature to be super comfortable or driven in that way because it's following after kind of pro tour riders picks of clothing and they're, and they're not racing in that, um, in that stuff, or there's a team car or they can take on and off in that way. So the, the design ethos, the, the culture around the brand, the, the athletes that we've chosen to sponsor, the events that we've chosen to sponsor have been governed around an experience and the experience has been pedaling. We have mountain bike apparel right now, but it has been a cross-country focused rider, a pedaling rider. Um, our full actual mountain line drops in July with 
a pant and like a, a pretty clear kind of the prescriptive pieces we were talking about before that are like focused on pad wearing, trail riding, all day adventuring um, riders who are looking for an unvarnished experience. And I'm like not, I, I think the place where we are not as accessible is like it, we're an expensive brand and, and we're an expensive brand because we're uncompromising on the materials we use. We use a lot of sustainably sourced materials and we maintain a lot of programs that manage end of life. So a renewed project that takes product back, we have a, a strong repair program. When our mountain bike line drops, it will be as expensive as anything else on the market. And it will be nicer because frankly, everything I've seen come out that part sort of preys on the mountain biker where it's like, this is good enough. Um, and there are pieces where that, that we're, we're going to be pretty uncompromising on. And I think in that way, it's like creating um, just the best experience possible for riding has been, has been what's guided us. And it's what served us well too. I think that's what we're known for. So can you talk a bit more specifically? I mean, if we are talking about kind of the, the standard mountain biker uniform where the shorts are baggier, generally the tops are a bit baggier. So from the Velocio point of view, what what are the things, where are the areas where you can take that baggier uniform and say, we're going to make improvements in this way, this way, or that way? Yeah, I think it's fit and fabrics. Um, and so you know, we've, I wrote a lot of iterations of the mountain bike pant that is coming out and I rode every mountain bike pant on the market and I saw where it hit. Um, we've got a couple special collaborations coming too that with like an outdoor brand, um, when we launch, that'll be like helpful just within the design. I don't want to like speak to it yet. Cause I don't think I'm allowed to, but, um, fit fabric, um, I think that's the key. And and if you look at the leaders in mountain bike apparel, as it's been adopted, it's, it's ported over from a moto background, right? So motor, and that's what people wore early on. When you, when you see where mountain bike has met uh, the moment, it, it, there's equal parts of pedaling culture that's come up and a downhill culture that's come down. And that downhill culture has brought with it basically a moto background. You know, we, you know what those brands are, that really big baggy play, like work that way. And you've seen those silhouettes, even from those moto brands shrink and be more pedal friendly. Ours will be in line with that. If some cases a little trimmer, in some cases a little longer, but designed for, all right, this isn't spandex, but how do we make this as aesthetically pleasing as possible, as pedaling pleasing as possible? And like, at all day wearing sustainable as possible and then creating just what is that kind of modern mountain bike experience really in the same way that we've looked at whether it's the Lux bib that we sell that's a bestseller because it is a really different feeling bib um, or concept radiator jersey which we sell which like actually makes you cooler when you're when you're riding in hot weather that it's those pieces I think there's this tendency to look at any apparel brand and say, well, you know, a jersey's a jersey's a jersey. And that's true until you start adding different fabrics to it, until you start adding different fits to it. And then it's really not true. So like that's where like the Pepsi challenge is useful to be like, go ride in these other brands, go ride in our pieces. 
we give folks 30 days to ride in our stuff and send it back if they're if it's not better like they can send it back for nothing there's no like it doesn't have to be something wrong they can just be like yeah i didn't like it and and the percentage of people that do that is absolutely infinitesimal it's tiny so that's what we're aiming at on the mountain bike side and then culturally that's what we're aiming at with the brand is like how do we support and engender a better experience yeah i mean i think there's a lot to be said for that and your point about mountain bike apparel kind of converging from more road cycling and moto backgrounds is definitely correct and it feels like in the last honestly not that many years people have kind of started to figure out some ways to make things legitimately better and kind of blend those two worlds in a way that just works better for being on a bike and pedaling and all the rest and it hasn't been the quickest thing to come around and so there is still some room to keep pushing that forward and i'm curious to see what you've got cooking up yeah i'm I'm looking forward to sharing it with you guys yeah i think that's probably kind of a good place to wrap this up and i think we've covered some interesting ground on just both Velocio itself and kind of a little introduction to myself and probably a lot of our listeners about the gravel world and kind of making a bit of a case for why us sort of siloed off mountain bikers might want to give a little more consideration to it. So it's been a lot of fun. I think we covered some good ground, had some interesting things to say on the matter and uh, just appreciate you taking the time, both of you. Yeah, I'm super grateful to get to talk to you. Hope we can go on a a gravel ride collectively, all of us at some point. Oh, there you go. We're gonna we're gonna rope David in. I like this. Well, we should try to make that happen. And Andrew, great to connect again and uh, look forward to the next one. And and thanks again for sharing your good thoughts on this whole scene and the broader scene too. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything you're working on. Thanks so much. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I just want to say thanks to Andrew and Jonathan for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.